0: May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. What would you do if you came face to face with God? Seriously, what would you do if the Lord God Almighty, the omnipotent, omniscient, suddenly appeared before you? Would you be speechless? Would you just start to babble, not really knowing what to say? I've said it before, but I really do love movies. And as irreverent as it probably is, I can't help but think of the scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, when God appears before King Arthur as this cartoon kingly figure in the clouds with his great crown on his head to commission Arthur on his quest for the Holy Grail. Of course, in typical Monty Python fashion, King Arthur drops to his knees when he sees God. And God says, oh, don't grovel. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Sorry, Arthur replies. And don't apologize, God says. Every time I try to talk to somebody, it's, I'm sorry this and forgive me that and I'm not worthy. It goes on and on. Now, I know Monty Python is a far reach from a theological treatise on divine encounters, but it does, in a humorous way, kind of show us that a sudden direct encounter with God might at the very least catch us off guard. So, what would you do if all of a sudden you looked up and saw God in front of you? There are a few examples throughout our history where people have seen divine signs. Constantine saw the Cairo symbol as he was preparing for battle, and so he believed that he was about to enter that battle under the protection of God. People have seen visions of the Blessed Virgin Mary throughout centuries. Think of Lourdes, Fatima, Guadalupe. These were all certainly life-changing events for those who were involved. They've also acted as symbols of hope and encouragement to many others. What would you do? Perhaps the greatest example of one seeing God in all of God's divine glory is this account we hear this morning in our gospel reading. We know this event as the Transfiguration, although today is not the Feast of the Transfiguration, that's in August. The event so important in our Christian lives that it does have its own feast day. But we hear the same story this time every year as well, on the last Sunday after the Epiphany, right before Ash Wednesday, in the beginning of Lent. You see, this entire season of Epiphany has been focused on Jesus revealing himself as God, the incarnate God. From his baptism in the River Jordan to his presentation in the temple To him, showing ultimate authority over evil and death. Epiphany is the season of realization. What we hear this morning is the final realization of Jesus's divinity. The icing on the cake, if you will. After this, there is no more beating around the bush about who Jesus really is. And if that miraculous vision of the transfigured Christ along with Moses and Elijah isn't enough, those who are on the mountaintop even hear the very voice of God This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. One aspect of the transfiguration that we notice is that it's not a public event. It's only his closest friends who are with him and who see Jesus transfigured before them into his divine glory. Now, for us here at St. John's, it's particularly worth noting who is with Jesus his closest disciples, Peter, John, and James. The next time you look at our altar window, which I'm hopeful will be very soon, that's exactly who you're going to see. John in the middle, and Peter and James are on either side. It's almost like they are witnessing Christ revealed in his glory again each time we are gathered together in his name. One aspect of the story which always strikes me the most Besides the fact that Peter thinks the best thing to do is to build houses for Elijah and Moses so they can stay around a little longer, besides that, the part that stands out for me the most is right after those three surprised, scared, and awestruck disciples see that wonderful glimpse into heaven. They are immediately faced with reality in a big way. No sooner had they stepped foot off that mountain with their heads still trying to process what they had just witnessed, are they immediately surrounded by the sick and the hungry, and they go right to work ministering to them. You see, that experience of seeing God, of seeing the divine, that experience is not meant to be held onto closely and filed away in our memories only to be brought back out for some rainy day. Jesus gave his three closest followers that amazing experience to empower them and to encourage them. To give them strength for the things that they are to do just as it is meant to give us strength for that which we are called to do. This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. When Jesus was born, when God became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus of Nazareth, that same all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient God became human, transcending whatever barriers we had placed between God and us for all time. That also means that God, our God is an incarnate God, working in us and working through the world around us. In these strange and uncertain times we live in, I believe that we really do encounter glimpses of God's divine glory each and every day. We may not notice when God appears before us, But every once in a while, we actually do. I firmly believe that God is always reaching out to us to encourage us and to empower us to do God's work, just as God did on the holy mountain 2,000 years ago. The encounters we have with God today might come in the form of a friend or a stranger a particular word or phrase from scripture, a doctor or fireman or maybe even a UPS driver or a postman. These divine encounters with God might actually be coming from you to be witnessed by someone you may never know, never even meet. If there's one takeaway from this season of Epiphany, these past six weeks, it's that God in Jesus Christ has come into this world to heal it and to be with us. Throughout all of the ups and downs of our history, God has never stopped reaching out to God's people. God will never stop reaching out to you.